The parable is in three parts. The first part of the parable deals with lost sheep, a lost sheep. And there were 100 sheep where the shepherd knew about, but one of them was lost, and so he left the 99 and he went and found that lost sheep. The second part of the parable talks about lost silver. It's the story of a woman who had some coins, but she lost one of them. And she looked and she looked and she looked. She was unable to find them. And so finally she decided to take drastic action. The Bible teaches us that she actually cleaned her house, all right? And uh, anyway, she found the coin and then she said, let's rejoice. I found what was lost. Now, the third part of this parable is perhaps the most well-known. It deals with a lost son. And the third part of this parable is instructive because it it tells us a lot about the God of heaven as he deals with sinful man. Now before we get into the scripture, let me just make a few opening remarks. And let me just say, we live in a world awash with sin. Have you noticed that? I think it's interesting to me that one of the, I think one of the major sins of our day is the sin of self-righteousness. I think we see self-righteousness not only among unsaved people, but also among Christian people. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that we're bombarded with information all the time, and we have to make a decision. Am I going to like this? Am I going to not like this? Am I going to get bent out of shape about this? And but that, that happens all the time. And we get in the habit of making judgments about different things. But i gotta, I got to tell you, God has reserved judgment for the Son of God Himself. And you know, it's easy for you and me to look, to look down our noses at other people and say, well, I would never do something like that. And the assumption is, I am better than they. But I find it interesting, Brother Wes, as we look into this passage of Scripture, how the father treated the so-called prodigal son. Now, we're going to read and we're going to spend some time in this passage of Scripture, but let's, let's read the text first and then we'll, then we'll begin to embark. It's familiar text, I know, but, but let's not allow that to cloud our thinking as we look. If you're able to stand, I would invite you to do so as we look to Luke chapter 15 and verse 11. Luke chapter 15 and verse 11, Jesus is speaking and He said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he, the citizen, sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Lord Jesus, help us as we look into this passage. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. I pray that you'd guide our thoughts. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, just burn the message into our hearts. We pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You can be seated. 
In this passage of Scripture, the Lord Jesus is giving a story in which the characters represent spiritual truth. You say, how do we know that? Well, the Bible says in, in verse 2, that the, 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 excuse me, verse 3, that He spake this parable unto them. So what follows is a parable in three parts, and it illustrates for spiritual truth. In this passage of Scripture, you have the father of these two boys. In this passage of Scripture, one boy represents the nation of Israel, the older son. The other boy represents sinful mankind in general. And so here you have this story. So let's look at what happens. This father is a wealthy man. He's a farmer. He has a lot of money, and his young younger son traipses into his office one day, and he says, look here, Dad, here's the way it is. I can't wait for you to die. I want what's coming to me when you're dead, only I want it right now. Can you imagine? So the father, I don't, I don't know if he decked his son, Pastor Monday. I don't know if that went through his mind. It might have gone through some people's minds. But the Bible says eventually he divided unto them his living. What does that mean? That means that whatever inheritance the younger son was going to receive when his father died, that's what he got on this particular day. Well, the boy had a lot of money all of a sudden. Man, his father had worked for a long time to get this farm and to have all the hired servants, but now he was rich overnight. Man, he gathered everything together. He said, that's it. I'm out of here. I'm sick and tired of this farm. I'm sick and tired of these servants. I'm sick and tired of this work. I'm sick and tired of chores. I'm sick and tired of this place. I'm sick and tired of everything. I'm getting out of town. So he took all of his money and all of his possessions, the Bible says, and the Bible says he took his journey into a far country. Do you get this, boy? Now, remember, this boy is a picture of sinful mankind. The Bible says he wanted to put as much distance between him and his father as he possibly could. So that's what he did. And the Bible says in verse 13, he took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. It's interesting to me the change in culture that I have seen in my lifetime. Now, I'm not very old. I understand that. But we are living with a generation today, and I suppose maybe I'm part of it. They're called the millennial generation. The millennial generation is, an, is a much written about generation. According to that great independent Baptist publication, the Washington Post, the millennials, the millennials consume more alcohol than their parents ever did. Isn't that interesting? Not only do they consume more alcohol, but according to the Washington Post, they consume more expensive alcohol than their parents ever did. Evidently, there are some poisons that are more expensive than others. You can get the cheap poison or you can get the expensive poison either way. But the truth is, we're living in a day that is going more and more toward riotous living. Can I just help you? I don't care what generation you're in. I don't care if you're in, uh, in, in the millennial generation or you're in the baby boomer generation or anything in between or after. Riotous living has never benefited the partakers of it. No one has ever been made happy by riotous living. Drunkenness has never made a person happy in the long run. It causes woe. It causes sorrow. It causes redness of eyes. It causes wounds without cause. It causes a, a person to see strange women, the Bible says. And I want you to know, it's never made anybody happy. Nor did it make this boy happy. But that's what he did. For some reason he set his sights on that. 
I was in I was in the Panhandle of Florida several years ago. I just closed a meeting in uh, in Mobile, Alabama, and a fellow named Bubba, really. That's his name. You can believe Bubba lives in Alabama, don't you? And Bubba came to me. He said, Brother Paul, he said, uh, now the, the Blue Angels are given a, a show just off the coast of Pensacola. He said, it's free. Would you like to go? I said, man, I'd love to go. So sure enough, we loaded everybody up in the church van. We drove down to this island not far from Pensacola, Florida. It was July or something like that. And we went out there, and we were going we to see the show. I mean, the Blue Angels, those airplanes going everywhere. If you've never seen it, it is a sight to behold. And so we all went out there, and uh, we, were, we were sitting on the beach. It's July. We're looking toward the Gulf of Mexico, and everything is fine except for one thing. All of my kids are looking at it like this. Daddy... I don't think I'm going to enjoy the show. And I understood why. I didn't know you could get snow blind in Florida in July, but you can. That white sandy beach is brutal to look at. I said, I'm the head of my house. I'm going to solve this thing. So I went into this little shop not far from the, from the beach there, and they sold overpriced everything, okay? So I went in there, and I bought shades for everybody, sunglasses, whatever you choose to call them. But I bought those, and I said, I'm going to take this to my family. We're going to enjoy the show. While this woman was scanning the sunglasses, she would pick up a pair of sunglasses, she would scan them, and then she would wince in pain. Now, we understand that's not normal human behavior, right? I mean, if you're so weak that you're out of shape by picking up a pair of sunglasses, something's wrong. This girl appeared to be in her mid-20s, maybe 23, 24. I don't know how old she was, but I thought, what is wrong? with? I said, ma'am, is everything okay? And, and she gave an evasive answer, and I thought, oh, man, this is not. And I, I pressed her for more information. Maybe that weirded her out, but finally she leveled with me. She looked at me, and she said, look, I don't know what's wrong with me. She said, I guess I just had too much fun last night. She said, I don't even know what happened. But I know this, when I got up this morning, I could scarcely move my arms. Riotous living. That's what this boy was involved in. It didn't make that girl happy, didn't make this fellow happy. Notice what happened in verse 14. He had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. He went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. Isn't it interesting? He ran away from the farm, but by verse 15, he's back on a farm. It's a different farm, a lot nastier farm, with apologies to any of you who might be pig farmers. But uh, it's, it's a lot nastier farm than what he was used to. But the Bible says he's back on the farm. In verse 16, he, uh, verse 15, he sent him into his fields to slop the hogs, to feed the swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. This boy has gone away from his father. It's a picture of sinful man. We all, we like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Bible talks about our sins and our iniquity like the wind they have taken us away that's exactly what's going on in this boy's life he looks at his father he says father though you have given me everything I want to put as much distance between me and you as I possibly can as a matter of fact I wish you were dead right now so I could get all that's mine and I can live it up after I get it that's exactly what happened well, the, the father didn't die, but he gave him all his inheritance, and now it's gotten very bad for the boy. He says, well, the only work I know is farm work. Let me find a farmer. So he's slopping the hogs, and he's looking at the hog slop thinking, man, that's starting to look good to me. I'm hungry. Wow. 
But I love verse 17. If you write in your Bible, you might write one word next to verse 17. You might write the word repentance. Repentance. Because in verse 17, we have evidence of a changed mind. Notice what it says. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? He said, Look, the hired help at least has bread in the break room. And I'm fixing, I'm in, I'm in hog slop. What's wrong with me? I will arise, verse 18, and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Now, this is a prepared speech. He's writing his speech in verse 18. It's a prepared speech. Let's pay attention to it. I have sinned against heaven, he says, and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Wow, what a great speech. He came into his dad's office saying, Dad, give me. He's going to come back into that same office saying, Dad, make me. That's a great prepared speech. So now, here he goes. He's going back to his father. The Bible says in verse 20, he arose and came to his father. Now, all that I've given you up to this point has been introduction. It is in verse 20 and following that I really want to pay attention because I want you to understand this truth. As we look at this story, it's known in the Scripture as the story of the prodigal son. There's nothing wrong with that, but I believe, Pastor Monday, the hero of this story isn't the son. It's the father. Because as we look at this story, we see an example of a sinful person. But we also see the teaching and the example of a father who welcomes repentant sinners. Now, I want to tell you something. We live in a world where self-righteousness is all around us, and if we're not careful, we can forget how the God of heaven welcomes repentant sinners. But here is a great reminder. I want us to focus tonight on what this boy discovered when he returned to his father's house. Let's notice what it says. He arose and went to his father, verse 20, but when he was yet a great way off. What did he discover when he returned to his father's house? Number one, when he began to turn his steps again toward home, he discovered anticipation. What does that mean? That means the whole process got started before this boy ever made it to the property line. That means there was a father who every day as he was going about his chores was anticipating that this boy was going to come home. Can I tell you something? As I travel in churches and I preach local church revival meetings, I am burdened by the lack of anticipation among God's people when it comes to dealing with sinners. Well, we're going to have a revival meeting, but I don't think anything's going to happen. Well, we're going to go out soul winning. We're going to give the gospel of Jesus Christ, that which is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But I don't think anything's going to happen. Can I tell you something? This father, every day of his life, looked long and hard both ways down that road, wondering to himself, might today be the day that my boy returns? Some of you are farmers. I don't know how many employees you have, but I've been in organizational meetings when the farmer is talking to his hired help at the beginning of the day. 
I've sat in the barn, I've sat in the, in the, the tractor shed, whatever you want to call it, or maybe because of the weather it's a heated office or whatever, but they're talking. Well, I, want, I need you to go out there, I need you to harvest that hay back there before, uh, b- before the rains come and all that, I need you to harvest that, and uh, I, need you to, I need you to get the wheat off of this land, I need you to move these cattle from this pasture to that pasture over there so that they don't overgraze it, and all of a sudden the, um, the people are getting their marching orders for the day, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. I been in those organizational meetings and 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 I can just I can just imagine brother Simon that the that that somebody asked the boss man hey boss what are you gonna do he said well me I, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be working on the fence along the road so that I can see every person that comes and every person that goes all day long down that road and you know what People come to me, Brother Dwight, and they say, you know, Paul, we've had meetings before and we haven't seen anything happen. But can I tell you something? That man looked down the road many a day. We don't know how many days it was, but it looks to me like at least months. There were days, and the days passed into weeks, and the weeks passed into months. And every single day he was looking with anticipation, thinking, maybe it'll be today. He's gone a long ways off. I don't know where he is, but maybe he'll come back today. And yet, there were many days that went by where the sun came up and the sun went down and his boy did not come home. But you know what? Somehow that never dampened his anticipation. It never dampened his anticipation. Because one day... I don't know if he was pruning trees out by the road or if he was mowing the weeds in the ditch out by the road or he was doing something by the road and he was out there working by the road and one day, although all those other days he'd been looking this way, he'd been looking that way and his son did not return, one day he did return. He said, hey, I recognize that gate. I recognize that walk. They say it looks like me, but I know it anywhere. That's my son. Do you understand something? As you and I are on this earth in the place of God to represent God Almighty, we've got to have an anticipation in our heart that the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to find lodging in the hearts of people. Even the most sinful, wicked people we know. Here, this father is a picture of the Lord, of the Lord Jesus and, and God as he looks at sinful man. What did this boy refine, find when he returned? He found anticipation. I want you to notice what the Bible says further. Verse 20, he arose and came to his father. When, when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. His father saw him. What is that? That's recognition. Now, it does not mean that the father said, Oh, look, yonder comes another fellow walking down the road. Do you, do you understand that? that? That's southern language, okay? Yonder comes another fellow walking down the desk. <laughs> I, I think you get it. All right. So uh, he said, yonder comes another fellow walking down. No, 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 no. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the father looked at him and he said, that's not just any traveler. That's my boy. That's what he said. Now, can I tell you something? I am very concerned in our churches, we who love God, we who are, we who are standing for the truth, that's all wonderful, but can I tell you what concerns me? What concerns me is many times we cut off relationships with unsaved people so that sometimes, Brother Dwight, it comes to revival time and people say, I don't know that many unsaved people. At least they're not my good friends. Now, can I have you to understand a balance here? We associate with Christian people for the purpose of fellowship, but we better associate with unsaved people for the purpose of evangelism. 
Hold your finger in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15 and go please to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul alludes to a letter that he wrote to the Corinthians that was not given by inspiration of God. Okay? So the Apostle Paul wrote more than just two letters to the Corinthian church. Only two were given by inspiration of God. Only two were divinely uh, preserved by God. And only two are in our Bible today. But notice what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. Here we go. I wrote, he says, unto you in an epistle, not to company with fornicators. Now, we don't have this epistle, but he's alluding to this letter that he wrote. He said, I wrote you this letter, and in that letter I wrote, don't company with fornicators. What does it mean to company? It means hang out with. That's what it means. Don't company with fornicators. Yet, he says, now I'm going to clarify what I wrote earlier. Now he's writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, verse 10, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. What does he say? He said, when I told you don't hang around fornicators, he said, I didn't mean cut every relationship with every wicked person that you know. That's not what I had in mind. For if you're going to do that, there's no purpose for you to still be on this earth. You may as well just go on to be with Jesus. I mean, why hang around here? But now, clarify, verse 11, But now I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or a covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one not to eat. So here's what he said. He said, look, when I wrote to you not to, not to hang out with wicked folks, I didn't mean cut off relationships with unsaved people. I want you to know, if a person who claims to be saved is involved in that, that's when you sever relationships with the purpose of restoring that person. But listen, you and I ought to be cultivating relationships with unsaved people. We ought to be doing that. We ought to be. Let me ask you, how many fornicators do you know that you could say, I'm kind of friends with them? I'm concerned that in our churches... We have become so isolated from unsaved people that there's no longer a relationship through which the gospel can flow. I believe this. Truth flows through relationships. I believe that. And you know, here was a boy. He was, he was a wreck. He went away a rich man, came back a poor man. The Bible says he came back, he smelled bad, he looked bad. The wealthy clothes that he left in were probably all gone by now. But there was still a recognition there so that while he was yet a great way off, anticipation, his father saw him, recognition. Let's go on, let's see what the Bible says. The Bible says in verse 20, he came to his father when he was yet a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion. What did the boy find when he returned? He found anticipation. He found recognition. And he found compassion. If you and I were to talk about the problems of this world, listen carefully. If we were to talk about the problems of this world, we would have to conclude the problems of this world are due to sin. Right? I mean, they are. Why is it that families are breaking apart? Well, you just... Just follow the sin trail. It's in there somewhere. 
Remember the officer that went into the wrong apartment and shot and killed a man in the apartment? I promise you there's got to be some, some kind of sin in there, some alcohol, some kind of sin involved in that whole situation. Now, thank God for an, a brother who had a forgiving attitude. But I'm going to tell you, there's some sin involved in that. There, and everywhere we look, we look at the problem of poverty. There's sin involved. We look at the problem of families. There's sin involved. Everywhere we look. And so it would be easy for you and me to say, well, if they would just quit sinning, everything would be so much better. And that's true. But I'm thankful that God deals with you and me with compassion. What does it mean? Compassion means that I feel the pain of their sin in my heart. Let me ask you something. When was the last time you ever wept over an unsafe person? When was the last time you, you placed yourself where they are and sat where they sat? In your mind and in your heart. You know, this boy could have gotten a royal lecture, Pastor Monday. Everything he did was his own fault. But when he returned, I don't read that any of that happened because he found compassion. Let's go on. The Bible says he, he was yet a great way off. He found anticipation. He, his father saw him. He found recognition. His father had compassion on him. He had compassion. But I want you to notice there's a provision that he found when he returned. Notice what the Bible says. We're back in Luke chapter 15. The scripture says, and ran, the father ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, here we go, here's the prepared speech. Are, are we ready? We already know what it's going to be. The prepared speech, verse 21, father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. The prepared speech, remember? But he doesn't get to finish the speech. He doesn't even get to the best part. I mean, it's, you're, we're watching, it's, it's about to get good. The part where he says, make me as one of thy hired servants, doesn't even get to that part. The father comes in and interrupts him. What does he interrupt him with? Look at what he says in verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And, uh, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. I want to tell you, when this boy returned to the father's house, he found anticipation. When this boy returned to the father's house, he found recognition. He found compassion, but I want to tell you, he found a provision that was there. A provision of what? Well, notice the, the, the list. Verse 21, the Bible, uh, the, the, verse 22, the, the Bible says, bring forth the best robe. What does the robe signify? The robe is a provision for this sinner. What does it mean? It means a removal of shame. When this boy had left, he was clad in only the best. He was a wealthy man, the son of a wealthy man. He had received his inheritance early before the death of his father. He went out with a high hand and with a lot of wealth. But when he came back, he stunk. He'd been living with hogs. I don't know how much you know about hogs. But hogs will eat anything if they get hungry enough. Even you won't they? You better hope there's some propane, uh, pro not propane, protein, <laughs> protein in that pig's diet, or it's going to get bad. It's going to get bad. That's just the way pigs are. I don't know, but what, whatever clothing he may have had may have been chewed on by some hog somewhere. That's the way they can get. 
And as you looked at this boy when he returned to his father's house, you'd have to conclude one thing. What a shame. What a shame. But you know what? No sooner was that boy within sight of that house that the father set everything in motion. And he said, let me tell you, I have provision to remove the shame of my son and what he's done. Let me tell you something. I may be preaching to somebody here. You don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. You may sit in a church. You may look around and you may think to yourself, you know what? Everybody here is just not like me. If they knew the things that I've done, if they knew the things that I've thought and knew the things that I've said, they wouldn't let me walk in this building. But can I tell you something? There is shame that comes with sin. You mark it down. Anytime any person decides to go against the will of God and go into sin, it's a shameful thing. But the good news is that when you and I repent of sin and come to Jesus Christ, He has provision for the removal of shame. No sooner was that boy back to the house that the father said, Hey, I want y'all servants to go find a, a robe and put that robe on him so that nobody sees the shame of what he has done. You say, Can God do that for me? You better believe it. There's a lot of aspects of salvation. One of the aspects of salvation is that you and I have our sin record washed away and we're given a home in heaven. But there's another aspect of salvation too, and it is this the guilt of sin is paid for and it is removed and it is gone. And so when this boy came back, there was a provision and, the, and the, the father said, you find a robe and put a robe on him. And then he said, put a ring on his hand. A ring in Bible times, as it is today, is a symbol of a relationship. So the robe speaks of a removal of shame. The ring speaks of a restoration of sonship. A restoration of sonship. This boy went out and he had a ring signifying that he was part of this home. He was part of this family. But in the far country and wasting his substance with riotous living, it was gone. Maybe hawked to get a meal. I don't know, but it was gone. But no sooner did he come back. No sooner did he repent. No sooner did he return that the father said, Hey, I don't only want you to remove the shame of his sin, but I want you to put something on his hand that lets everybody know he's still my son. He's still my boy. And you know, that's what happens when you and I come to the Lord Jesus in salvation. The Bible tells us, as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. The Bible says that all who trust Christ as Savior, it has been chosen before the foundation of the world that we would be adopted into God's family and we would be made His son. Wow. There's a restoration of sonship. I want you to notice the Bible speaks of shoes. He says, put shoes on his feet. What does that mean? In order to work on the farm, in order to do the different things, you had to have some kind of protection for your feet. may not have been boots like we wear in Colorado and other places in the American West, but you had to have some kind of covering for your feet. When the boy came back, there was nothing on his feet. Shoes were gone along with the ring and along with everything else he had gone out with. But the father said, wait a minute. I've got something for this boy to do now that he's come back. So here we have the robe. It's a removal of shame. We have the ring. It's a restoration of sonship. We have the shoes. That speaks of a renewal for service. I'm talking to somebody in here tonight, and you, you don't know Christ as Savior. You're looking around. This church is just something unusual. It's something new. But can I tell you something? If you bow your heart to the Lord Jesus, you trust Him as Savior, God not 
only wants to save you, but He wants to take your life and make something great out of it. He wants to use you in a great way. Somebody says, well, Brother Paul, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the talents that I have or don't have. I don't need to know. I just know God. And I know the way He treats sinful, repentant sinners. And if you'll come back to Him, my friend, if you will come to Him and say, Lord Jesus, I've been in sin, but I repent. I want to humble myself before You. He'll give you that removal of shame, that robe. He'll restore that relationship. He'll give you that ring. And oh, He'll have some shoes for you to wear. And He'll say, look, I have a job for you to do, just like He did for that prodigal son. What did this boy find when he returned? He found anticipation. He found recognition. He found compassion. He found provision. I want you to notice something else. He found jubilation. The Bible says, in verse 23, bring hither the fatted calf. May I simply say, if you're a vegan here, I feel very sorry for you. Because here in the Word of God, It was a celebratory thing, Pastor Monday, to eat some meat. Amen. Amen, okay. I don't mean to offend any of you, but uh, when you sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb, I reckon there's going to be some fatted calf there if the Word of God is any any indication. But that's what they did. Why Why were they eating beef? To celebrate. That's what it says. He says, bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. Why? For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. What does that mean? That means they rejoiced. Brother Dwight, one of the things that bothers me the most is when I, when I, I preach and I'll see somebody get saved in one of my meetings and some dear old grizzled up gnarled saint wet blanket comes along and says, well. We don't know if it's real or not for a few years. That's why my hair's falling out. It's all I can do to hold it together at that point in time. I want to look at him and say, are you kidding me? This person was bound for hell and they trusted Christ as Savior. Look, 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 I I know, I know you and I see professions of faith and and we look at the lives and we long for some fruit. We long to see a change in their life and sometimes it happens the way we want it to and sometimes it doesn't happen the way we want it to and and we we long for everyone that makes a profession of faith to, to learn to live for God and to be separate from sin and all of that. But can I tell you something? If they got saved, they became God's child, not yours. And let me, just, let me just help you practically. I don't know why this is, but God has a way of using one ministry to get somebody saved and another ministry to see them discipled. That's not always true, but that is often true. Now, I don't have a Bible reason for that. I'm just telling you something that I've observed. Let me tell you about Clay Cooper. He's the only man that I have ever met in my life that found the will of God by Googling it. I'm serious. He was living in California. He was as conservative as the day is long. He's a Second Amendment gun-toting American. And, uh, and he, he had a job, but he could not afford to make a living in California. So he sat down on his computer, and he Googled, cheapest cost of living in America. At that time, if you Google cheapest cost of living in America, Mississippi comes up. So he told his wife, he said, we're moving to Mississippi. She said, why? We don't know anybody there. 
He said, it doesn't matter. I can afford to live there. So we're going there. So he uprooted his family. He, he works for Costco. He got a transfer from Costco in California to a Costco in the Memphis area. And he moved his family from California to North Mississippi. In North Mississippi, he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and got saved. But you know what? It wasn't long before he got ticked off at the church where he was saved. If he were here today, he would say, I made a mistake. I was wrong to do what I did. But he got miffed, and he left in a huff. And for a period of years, the, the, church, the people in the church where he was saved probably scratched their heads and said, well, he made a profession of faith, but I don't know if he got saved or not. Then came my wife and me in January, and we knocked on his door. He wasn't there. He's at work. His wife came to the door. We struck up a conversation. She told us, she said, we're not in any church at this time. Now, in North Mississippi where I live, if you tell us we don't have any church that we're going to, that's like putting a target on your door. Not that we're going to shoot them, but we're going to go after those kinds of people. And I think, by the way, you should too. And I, I think probably the woods are full of them, actually. But anyway, uh, we went after them. What does that mean? Well, that means over a period of, I think it was 15 months, we would come back from time to time. We'd knock on the door. We'd say, hey, we're from the Clearview Baptist Church. We just want you to know we still love you. We'd love to have you in our services. They assured me in, the, in those visits that they knew Christ as Savior. Indeed, they had been born again. But they'd been out of church for a long time. In process of time, God got a hold of their hearts. And in process of time, they came to church. And in process of time, they began to grow. And God used a different church to disciple them from the church that He used to see them saved. You say, why, Brother Paul? I don't know. But it would have been a grave mistake for that first church to rise up and conclude, well, we haven't seen them in 18 months. I don't even know if they're saved. That would have been a grave mistake. Can I tell you something? Don't you let anything rob you of the joy that ought to be yours when someone trusts Christ as Savior. Maybe they'll grow like you want to see them grow. Probably they won't grow like you want to see them grow, but you never forget this. When they trusted Christ as Savior, they became God's. And God is able to take care of His own. Don't we all do some stupid knuckle-headed things, even as God's children? Can I get a witness? Yes. Yes, we do, don't we? And God takes care of us in spite of that. Don't you think that He can come along to another Christian who has just trusted Him in Savior and do the same for them? Oh, I believe it with all of my heart. And I'm simply saying to you and to me tonight, if, if, if sinners come into our lives, if sinners come into contact with you and with me, yes, there are going to be things that they bring with them. There are going to be sins. They're going to smell like the hog pen. That's just the nature of sin. But God help you and God help me, we who know the Lord Jesus, to reflect the attitude of our God in heaven. And when they come, treat them as God Himself treats them. To have some anticipation to have some recognition, to have some compassion, to show them about God's provision for them, and to have some jubilation when they trust Christ as Savior. 
I was reading, I'll close with this, I was reading the book of Genesis, I don't know how many times ago it was, maybe two or three times ago, when I began reading through the Bible again. And You know, the book of Genesis is exciting, there's so many great things in there. And I read the book of Genesis chapter 37, and man, I, I don't know how many times I've read it, but it's always good. Genesis chapter 37, of course, is the story of Joseph. Here's a man who is kind of pushed out of his own family, but no, no sin is ever recorded. And in chapter 37, he tells him about the dream. He said, I don't know what's going on, but I had this dream where the sun and the moon and the stars all bowed down to, to me. And I, everybody had sheaves in the field, and the, all the other sheaves bowed down to my sheaf. Okay, We don't have sheaves like that today because a combine takes care of all of that. But it's when they would cut the grain and bind it into bundles. That's the sheaf. Okay, and then uh, he said, all the other sheep bowed, everybody else's sheep bowed down to my sheep. And they said, oh, you think you're going to rule over us, huh? They sold him into slavery. That's chapter 37. Well, man, I'm reading chapter 37, and I'm just barreling along thinking, oh, this is going to be good. Because it's, it's, it's just an incredible story. But right on the heels of Genesis 37 comes Genesis 38. Genesis 37 is a wonderful story of Joseph. Genesis 39 is a wonderful story of Joseph all the way to the end of the chapter, to the end of the book, excuse me. But Genesis chapter 38 tells us all kinds of stories about sin. And when we read them, I don't know about you, but I feel a little bit dirty. It's the story of Judah. Judah has some children. They're so wicked that God killed them. I have no idea what they did. What Judah did is bad enough. But they did some wicked things, and God killed them. And then, and then there's, a, there's some lies, and then there's some fornication that takes place, and, and there's this, some more lies and attempt to cover up the sin. I mean, it just, it just gets deeper and deeper. And I, I remember thinking to myself this particular time, I think, you know, Lord, I could have gone all my life and not known that. I think I would have been okay. And I, began, I, I was troubled about it. And then the days, I, I would ask myself the question, why did God even bother to give us those details about this guy, Judah. Why? And I thought, and I thought, and I thought, and I, 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 just, I just kind of prayed through it and mumbled through it to myself, just thinking about it as I would go about my business from day to day. And then, then I got to thinking all through the Bible, toward the end of all time in the book of Revelation. I was reminded of a time when all of, all of the saved are going to be around the throne of God. John sees a vision, and there's a book. It's sealed with seven seals, seven wax seals. And John saw the book. He wanted to know what was in the book, but there was a problem. No one in heaven or earth was found worthy to open the seals. And so he sat down and he wept, and somebody came to him and said, Hey, weep not, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And I thought to myself, can it be? Can it be that God in the end of time wants to be associated with this man who in Genesis 38 was revealed to be such a scoundrel? But it's clear that's what he says. And you know, I began to think to myself, if God can welcome sinners that way. Now, there was a time when Judah repented. I think we can find evidence of that in Genesis. But if God can so associate with a man with such an awful past, surely I can reflect His attitude towards sinners around me. And I think it's time for you and me 
to reflect the attitude of God in our treatment of repentant sinners. Lord Jesus, thank you for this story and how it speaks to our hearts. I ask you today, Father, that you would cause us to look at ourselves, look at our love for sinners around us, look at our compassion, and Father, that we would compare our attitude toward the attitude of this Father in this story. And I ask that you would work in this time of invitation. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Folks are making their way to their places for the invitation. I want to I ask you a few questions tonight. First of all, this, who here would say, you know, Brother Paul, there's not everything maybe as it should be in my life, but this I know. Heaven is my home and Jesus is my Savior. And if I were to die today, Brother Paul, I'd go straight to be with him in glory. I know that I'm on my way to heaven. I know that I'm saved. If that describes you, would you please slip up your hand? I know that I'm saved, Brother Paul. I know that I'm saved. God bless you. Many hands. Thank you. You can put those down. I believe this. If sinners are going to know how God receives repentant sinners, they're going to have to see it reflected in your life and in mine. You who just raised your hand, I'm, I'm speaking to you right now. And I wonder this. You who just raised your hand, has God spoken to your heart? Maybe I'm talking to somebody right here and you'd say, you know, Brother Paul, God has spoken to my heart. If God welcomes repentant sinners that way and I'm supposed to reflect that in my life, then some things need to change. I'm not asking you to raise your hand again, but I want to I ask you to answer that in your own mind. Maybe God's spoken to you about that matter of anticipation, recognition, or compassion. But let me tell you, all of us in here who, who know we're saved are grateful that God welcomes repentant sinners. The question is, do we? One final question, and we'll move into our invitation. Brother Dwight has a song. He'll announce it in just a moment. I wonder, is there someone here that would say, Brother Paul, as you have been preaching, i got to say the character that I most identify with is that young boy. Maybe, maybe there's a, a sense of rebellion in your heart against God and who He is. Maybe the rebellion has lived out long enough to where you're in the hog pen a little bit. And maybe, just maybe, there would be someone here that would say, Brother Paul, I've been in the hog pen. I, I, I want to come back to the Father's house. I, I need to get right with God. I need to get saved. Can I tell you, if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as Savior, we have these meetings so that you can be saved. That's why we have them. We have them so that the Lord will speak to others' hearts as well. But we want to see you saved. I wonder, would there be someone here tonight that would say, Brother Paul, would you pray for me? I'm not saved tonight. And I just wonder, would you pray for me? If that describes you, would you slip up your hand? Anyone like that tonight? I'm not saved, Brother Paul. Pray for me. Pray for me. All right, may we stand, please, with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Everyone standing tonight. Dear Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to look into your word.
Lord, work in this time of invitation. As we sing this song, I pray that you would get a hold of hearts. Help us to see where we are in our response to other people. Our response to those sinners around us, Father, who need to see a reflection of the love and mercy of our God. Lord, I pray for someone who may be listening by way of the technology, the internet, and, the, and, and all of that. Or someone that may be in this room. They're not saved, Father. I pray, that, I pray that they would come to themselves tonight. And I pray that they would understand their need of a Savior and that they would turn to you in salvation. We pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Number 542.